Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. And he's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance. And this week it's Christmas. Which is all about meat pies, the invention and theft of Christmas. Oh, and the British Empire. It's not, it's all about crab racing and ravens and moss and time travel. (laughs) It's going to be a ridiculous episode. Um, If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast and tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected at unexpected podcast spelt p-d-c-s-t we are proud to be part of the excellent history hit network home of dan snow's history hit and other great shows coming soon and you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months show notes video clips photos of everything we discuss and much much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio-goodling through history, exploring the history of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like the card, the cake, the tree, or stockings, because yes, this is a Christmas special edition. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history, and crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, that the history of Holly was in fact all about poison. Nothing says Christmas like poison. Or that the history of ivy was all to do with heritage and the passage of time. And crumbling walls. And crumbling walls. That's what makes me think about it. The man sitting opposite me is the Santa of historical scepticism. It's Professor James Daybell. And the man sitting opposite me is the Charles Dickens of Christmas past. (laughs) Together we will be piloting you on this uncharted and frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Each week one of us takes the lead and this week it's James's turn. He's very excited because he gets (laughs) to talk about all sorts of ridiculous Christmas Christmas traditions. (laughs) Okay, so it's Christmas. So where do we start? Um... 
We start probably with uh, ritual, don't you? Don't we? Um, with this kind of whole business of gift exchange, it's all a bit curious. I think it, I, I'm not. I, Christmas I, is all about economics. I'm not entirely it's all convinced about capitalism about and Christmas. wealth. You're not convinced by oh, you screwed you. Yeah, you, are you not a Christmas fan? I well, yeah, bits of it I like. Um, I find it all quite bewildering, and I find I find um, I don't like doing things if I don't understand why I'm doing them. Right. I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to... to um... Do you control Christmas? <laughs> no, I don't control Christmas. I, I just don't know. It's really interesting when you have kind of different family traditions as well. I won't go into details, but my wife's family have distant, different yes. traditions to mine. And, and they don't question why they do what they do. No, and we no. have different traditions. We don't question why we do what we do. Even if it's pointless and stupid. <laughs> I, I don't mind it being stupid because no, it's entertaining. It's, it's... But if it's... You know, if it's a waste of money and a waste of time, that gets slightly irksome. It's those rituals that become embedded in your life. You're so used to them. I mean, my wife would have us put the Christmas tree up on Christmas Eve, mm. whereas I would have the Christmas tree up on the 1st of December. Not quite right. We um, ours go up very, very early. Yes. Have you tried changing it? Uh, well, normally I say that we'll have, we, we normally have it early. This year, we're going to have it sort of midway through December, I think. So okay. around, around the 16th. So you're winning slowly. Win, well, winning, winning slowly. We've never had the tree up on Christmas Eve and decorated on Christmas Eve. But I think that would be a lovely tradition. I am an absolute sucker for Christmas. I love Christmas. Mm. I start buying Christmas presents in late summer. So I'm already done. Beginning of December, and I am already shopped entirely I haven't got any. for Christmas. Well, I mean, I think there is so much interesting stuff going on with Christmas yeah. that it's to do an unexpected podcast on it is, in some respects, it's it's reasonably challenging because you've got to avoid obvious things yeah. like um, presents and carols and take it in a different Cards, in a different direction trees. but at the same time because there are so many different aspects of christmas you can fly all over the place yeah where are you going to go with it well one of the things we haven't talked about is the, the you know the christian foundation of christmas mm -hmm. you know this is after all to celebrate the birth of of christ and i think what you know that's absolutely central to it and i think what's interesting is how that you know, is about the dating of Christmas, why the 25th? A lot of this was picking up on pagan festivals that were happening around the, this Christmas time. Advent, you know, the 12 day, the, the period going up and the 12 days after Christmas, you know, which we see coming into being around 570, if I'm not mistaken, 567. Uh, the Council of Tours, the church decides that this is going to be the important dating of Christmas. We look at how Christmas has been celebrated across time. So the medieval version of Christmas, which is really a sort of round of raucous, you know, yep. drunkenness, um, the way in which that's transformed in the Victorian period. I mean, not necessarily the reinvention, but certainly the re-representation of Christmas. And so I'll say a little bit about that and um, Dickens. Well, I think the point is, is, is that even though it's the same, we come to it every year and a lot of our routines and rituals and traditions are the same, that it, it does, it is a it is a slowly changing juggernaut. It is going yep. to change. And, yep. and the way we celebrate Christmas now is not going to be the same way we celebrate it in, no. in 10 years' time. I'm, no. I'm Because of my slight thing with traditions, I'm a, I'm a great one for inventing traditions. Oh. And as, as a rule, I usually invent a new tradition. So the one we have was... Many years ago, I lived in, in a house with a friend of mine called Dan, and um, we couldn't afford Christmas decorations. So we made them. 
And we didn't, not in a crafty way, not not in a kind of... <laughs> Screwed up newspaper, painted Like in, in a hilariously bad way. Um, and we made them out of, uh, I made a really cool person out of Satsuma peel and matchsticks. <laughs> and um, and we didn't have a we didn't have a star and angel you, you across still the have tree. It. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, well, we I, I definitely have this, which is um, a a little parachuting man toy. Okay, so it's a, it's a little, yeah, little I know guy exactly the one. arms up yes, in the air, yes. and he we found him by a bin, and um, we rescued this triumphant parachuting man, and he sat across the top of the tree, and so every year I now make. A terrible <laughs> Christmas decoration, and I would I would actually be much happier if all of our decorations were made. Liberties eat your heart out. And with I, a I homemade tangerine but, man yeah, yeah. with parachute. Well, I tried to explain it to a friend of mine, and she came round with a kind of an exquisitely made sort of tinsel sprayed and glued. I don't know, it was a pine cone or something. It was it was done in a craft workshop, and and uh, completely missed the point. Is that you basically have to make it out of rubbish or whatever you have lying around. <laughs> My wife doesn't like this because by the end of Christmas, you put the whole thing is you put a new Christmas decoration on your tree every day throughout Christmas. <laughs> so the end of it, the tree looked like a bin. <laughs> It looked, it looked like it, um, trash Christmas tree. Trash Christmas tree, and it was really cool because I remember um, every day it was a different thing. I had a little project, but it did look like a. You've personalised Christmas, which is brilliant because it did look like the wind had blown nonsense and filth through my house, and it had been caught in the spider web of my Christmas tree. And what do your children think of that? Um, the, the family. What does the family think? Well. My daughter doesn't. She 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 comes from this sort of. We need to do some nice coloring or make something yes. good. And whereas my son, he he's all over it. You know, right? Yeah, he gets it. He'll just like put a he'll he'll put a tennis ball in the tree. You go over. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? I mean, I think this is I think this is great because I think one of the things that's happened is you know over the last hundred years or so, Christmas has become so commercialized. You know, we talked about that earlier on. And I think that the proper message of Christmas has really become lost and diluted and people are it really is for most people or for many people nowadays you know something that it, it's it's a cultural celebration yeah. rather than a rather than an innately religious but it is personal everyone does it slightly differently yeah. and that comes back to the yeah. point we we're making there is there is a, a really a really individual aspect of it yeah so it's about it's about the history of ritual yeah. and how that how that's changed so i'm going to start with meat pies mm -hmm. And I've got here... Like a pasty. A, well, a, a sort of a minced pie. Oh, right. I have here, if I can find my image of it... Here we are. This is a early 17th century... That's cool. ...minced pie recipe from the National Archives. It is minced, spelled M-I-N-S-T. Yes. Spelling was completely unfixed. What date is this? Uh, at this period. This is about 1640s. That's so cool. So it's a it's take a pretty, half a what half a take half a peck of the <laughs> finest flour. What's a full peck? A full peck, <laughs> like a, a your full, like a, you, yes, yeah, like a little fingers. a little peck of, of of a peck is a is a measurement of it. It's not it's not like a pinch. A peck is a, it's a measurement, mm -hmm. uh, and it's about two gallons. So we're looking at a gallon of flour here. Oh. Two pounds of sugar, two pounds of butter, a loin of fat mutton with a little of a leg of veal. To mince with it, two uh, pounds of raisins of the sun, and currants and cloves, mace, nutmegs, one ounce. So basically, this is a meat pie. 
for Christmas, hmm. uh, which sort of merges in. And th- later on, it talks about spicing it and, and adding butter and this. When the pies are filled, slice dates and stick in the top. And when you set them into the oven, wash them over with the yolks of eggs and pin them up in papers. So what you would have had is like, as, imagine like a big pork pie. Yeah. You know, it was nothing to do with the sort of mince pie that we have from Mr. Kipling today. But I think it's about Christmas is historically has always been a time of feasting and celebration. And, you know, think of your think of your Christmas carol and think of the ghost of Christmas present and the description of the amazing wealth, just bountifulness. And I've got a, if I may, a little extract from uh, Dickens's Christmas Carol. And Christmas Carol is one of my favourite Christmas books. I read it religiously mm. every year, and, and I have it on. I have it on my iPod as well. The poulterers' shops were still half open, and the fruiterers were radiant in their glory. There were great round pot-bellied baskets of chestnuts shaped like the waistcoats of jolly old gentlemen, lolling at the doors and tumbling out into the street in their apoplectic opulence. There were ruddy, brown-faced, broad-girthed Spanish friars, and winking from their shells in wanton slyness at the girls as they went by, and glanced demurely at the hung-up mistletoe. There were pears and apples clustered high in blooming pyramids. There were bunches of grapes made in the shopkeeper's benevolence to dangle from the conspicuous hooks that people's mouths might water gratis as they passed. There were piles of filberts, mossy and brown, recalling in their fragrance ancient walks among the woods and pleasant shufflings ankle-deep through withered leaves. There were Norfolk biffins, squab and swarthy, setting off the yellow of the oranges and lemons, and in the great compactness of their juicy persons, urgently entreating and beseeching to be carried home in paper bags and eaten after dinner. And so it goes on. I mean, Dickens is such a wonderful. I mean, he's a he's a flatulent prose stylist. You know, mm. he's sort of overstuffed himself. I mean, it's so very Christmassy, so descriptive, <laughs> but but incredibly, incredibly descriptive. So so Christmas is all about feasting and meat pies mm. and uh, pecks. Isn't it wonderful when people actually can use language to sort of encapsulate Christmas? And and, yep. and that's exactly what Dickens has done there. I mean, yep. he's. It's like he was put on this earth to write about Christmas. Yes, like you were saying, a lot of a lot of his work is so so overstuffed and wonderful and and, and so descriptive, and it, it feels so rich and and kind of joyous yep. and celebratory. Yeah. Um, where are you going to go with Christmas now? Oh, I'm going all over the shop. <laughs> <laughs> my um my grandfather was in the navy. He died recently. Um, and in the fifties, after the Second World War, he was stationed on Christmas Island, hmm. and he used to tell us the stories. Of, he was there when they were where they were. Um, testing out the hydrogen bomb hmm. um, in the 50s. And I'm amazed he survived as long as he did. He was clear past 90. But maybe that was the radiation which actually kept him going. And um, they were all given they were given sunglasses and told to look in the other direction. That was the only, the, the only protection they were given for a nuclear test. Nothing says Christmas like radiation poisoning. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, anyway, this, um, for me... Christmas Island always sounded like a magical place, and I couldn't believe anywhere was actually called Christmas Island. I've never been to it, but I really want to go. 
I was quite close to it last week. I was in Singapore. Right. It's not, right. far, not far away. And they used to race crabs. One of the things they used to do in the Navy was race crabs because they're these crazy indigenous land crabs. They're all over the place. And the way to race crabs is you, you don't, they, because they go in unpredictable directions, you draw a circle and then you put your crabs in the circle and it's the first to break the circle. And they don't fight. Um, they, don't they probably fight do fight, yes. yeah. But anyway, I've always wanted to go crab racing Christmas Island. So my point about all of this is, when do you think Christmas Island was discovered? Oh, I have no idea. Have a guess. Give... Uh, well, Christmas Day. Christmas Day. <laughs> yes, well okay. done, James. Okay. Let's try that okay. again, James. Okay. When do you think Christmas Island was discovered? Well, <laughs> if I think about it really logically, <laughs> would it have been Christmas Day? Well I, done. I was pitching for a year, not, oh, okay. a, not a date. <laughs> well, no, I'm so so Christmas, Christmas Day. On Christmas Day. Um, and the year's really interesting. It was 1643, which which is about, I don't know, 80 years. Who discovered it? Um, William Miners who was a captain of an East India Company ship. Ah. I was very surprised at the early days of that. So, um, I've got another one for you. East Island. Easter Day? Yes! <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, that was uh, discovered by a, ja- a, a um, Jakob Rogovin, um, a Dutch sailor in 1722. Similar theme, James. You ready? Yep. Whit Sunday Island. Oh, now now that's different. Whit Whit Sunday? No, no, no! You no. fell into my trap. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> this is all to do with knowing what the date is and knowing what the time is. So it's all very well celebrating Christmas Day, but do we actually know when it is? Because the Whit Sunday Islands, uh, Cook passed in the 1770s, named them on what he thought was Whit Sunday, and it wasn't Whit Sunday. It was the day after, because he had passed the international date line. Brilliant. Which, for those who don't know anything about it, was something that um, was actually agreed in the 1880s. But there's a problem here. So the, the best way of understanding the problem is if you read Round the World in 80 Days, Jules Verne. Yep, love it. Where um, Phileas Fogg has to go around. He has a bet, doesn't he? He has to get round, round the world. And he comes back in London and he thinks that he is a day too late. Yep. He thinks that he's um, he's missed missed the, the challenge. Let's get back to his club for a 81 bit. 81 days. But he hasn't because he forgot to because he went he went from west to east and that meant that he didn't you have to adjust your clock because you are going back yep. in time yep. as you're going towards the sun all the time, and Cook didn't realise this either and he didn't realise he'd actually gained a day. Now there's an official this was officially decided in the 1880s with the international dateline and it goes down 180 degrees longitude, and it's not completely straight interestingly mm. it has to wiggle around a couple of islands in the pacific and there's a gap between samoa and american samoa and in those places you are you witness the same sunrise mm. but it is on a different day so two christmases you can have two christmases and the um they're, they're not the same island but you can travel between them and it, it, you can easily travel within a day between these islands either side of the date line and you can have two christmases uh, which I really want to do. I, I, don't, I want to be able to do that. It's, it's, it's a bit like time travel. Which, yes. <laughs> um, which is which I think is very exciting. So having one Christmas is quite boring. That's my unexpected take on it. And, and so two Christmases is what you... Yeah, that's, the, that's yeah. the way ahead. You've got to live in the Pacific. Excellent. Okay, we'll move. Okay. Excellent. Right, I'm going to bring us back to Dickens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's going to be this thread of traditional Christmas going through. And I think... I will then tear you away from And then from you'll that. tear me away from it by talking about nuclear holocaust or something. Uh, ravens. The, ravens. Oh, good. Good. Next. I'm going to talk about um, Queen Victoria's Christmas. Okay. Uh, and Christmas giving. But I want to do that through thinking about how Christmas has changed or the celebration of Christmas has changed over time. And I talked about earlier on about the kind of medieval Christmas that you might have and the the traditions associated with that that are often connected to 
a lot of feasting, a lot of drinking, a lot of carousing. And then what happens in the Victorian period, particularly influenced by the works of Dickens and his his Christmas stories. And he produced, you know, a lot of Christmas stories, not just Christmas Carol, but a lot of other Christmas books. And, and you can get hold of them very, very cheaply. And one of my favourite is the Christmas chapters in Pickwick. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Papers. Hmm. And again, that's another ritual. At Christmas, I have this little sort of clutch of books. Four or five books. They're all here. Um, oh, yes. Tolkien, Wind in the Willows, Laurie Lees. Uh, yeah. Um, Dylan Thomas, A Child's Christmas in Wales. And I, and Christmas I, I, library. I, I read them all and I keep them in a special place in my, in my study and I bring them out early December, and, I, and I, I read them each night to get me into the, the spirit of it. And I wanted to just read a tiny little bit from the Pickwick Papers, which is absolutely one of my favourites. And the Pickwicks are off on their, on their travels, and it's punctuated by a description of, of Christmas was close at hand. Numerous indeed are the hearts to which Christmas brings a brief season of happiness and enjoyment. How many families whose members have been dispersed and scattered far and wide in the restless struggles of life are then reunited and meet once again in that happy state of companionship and mutual goodwill, which is a source of such pure and unalloyed delight and one so incompatible with the cares and sorrows of the world that the religious belief of the most civilized nations and the rude traditions of the roughest savages alike number it among the first joys of a future condition of existence provided for the best and happy how many old recollections and how many dormant sympathies does christmas time awaken so what we've got is this sort of reinvention of Christmas, or, or not necessarily reinvention, but a sort of reinterpretation of Christmas. And I think what you've got at the heart of the Dickens Christmas is this sort of humanitarian message. It's about Christianity, again, it's about family. And a lot of the ideas that we have coming out of Christmas today all come back to, to Dickens. 
and we can see that in something like Christmas Carol mm. as well. And the Victorians... It's know, amazing what, how influential he was, isn't uh, it? Absolutely. The, the term Merry Christmas you know, started being used. Also, some of the images that we have in, in Dickens, I'll show you here, some of the, the sort of the early images are so charismatic, so iconic. Let's have a look, see if I can find were they, these. Were they innovative images or, yes. or, or rather than, than a kind of a visual writing They're, down of a sort yes. of existing visual yes. culture? Yes. So here we are. We've got the depiction of, this is the Ghost of Christmas present. Uh, and screwed here, so we've got a little what's what's like a sort of um, little sketch, and then it and then it's coloured in, and you notice that Christmas present is portrayed in in green. Yeah, you know, so Father Christmas would have been in green, but you've got the opulence here. There's a lot going on in that picture, isn't it? There's an awful lot wow. going on. The whole he's in a sort of green dressing gown, open to the navel, <laughs> with 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 white fur, holding a, a torch. What's he got on his chest? I can't quite see. Hair. Oh, it is chest it's a hair. It's a hairy chest. I mean, he's a bit of a stud. He is. With, with a torch. With a, a Christ-like figure, because he's got a, a crown of thorns yeah. on there. Or it's, a, it's not a crown of thorns, a holly, a holly crown. But this is also the period when you get the, the invention of the Christmas card, the Christmas carol, book, you know, books of Christmas carols are first printed. It's a time, of, I, I talked about, you know, the, the sort of humanitarian side of it. It's a great time for charity mm -hmm. you know for charitable raising during the victorian period um the christmas tree uh, of course which is sort of very closely connected to prince albert and we have a a very early description of queen victoria's christmas when she was a princess and she mm. described we've got her her early notebooks uh, which you can get on archive.org mm -hmm. for free Brilliant. um and she describes how you know christmas trees there were Two large round tables on which were placed two trees hung with lights and sugar ornaments, all the presents being placed round the tree. I had one table for myself and the Conroy family had the other. And then she describes all the little presents that she's been given. Mama gave me a little lovely pink bag, which she'd worked with a little sachet, likewise done by her, a beautiful little opal brooch and earrings, um, books with some lovely prints, a satin pink dress and a cloak lined with fur. And so she goes on. So you can even get to, you know, not just the the way in which Dickens is presenting Christmas. You can look at it from the perspective of traditions being being invented, and you can get to the very heart of Queen Victoria's Christmas mm. through her early writings. I wonder if she made any tree decorations out of rubbish. I imagine they were all produced <laughs> for her. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're going to keep coming back to this, though. Everyone, yes. You should invent your own tradition. I think that's the point here. Um, I've always been fascinated by travelling at Christmas. Okay. Um, everyone hits the road. I'm going to China next Driving week. Driving home for Christmas. I'm flying home for Christmas. Home um, for Christmas. I suppose I'll have to drive at some point. Yes. But I'm, I'm going to be travelling. And there's been a bit of a hoo-ha with the, the filming companies sort of, you know, say, oh, it's very difficult. You know, lots of people on the road. It's going to be very expensive. I've got to come back from Nanjing, which is some distance away. Um, but travelling is part of Christmas, I think. It's all to do with the going to see people. And, but it's all it's, it's more intimately linked with that because you've got the wonderful Christmas stories about travelling. Yes. The, the whole voyaging thing major, is, yeah. is kind yeah. of part of yeah. it. And certainly the, the, the journey of the three wise men. Yeah, which has always interested me, and I'm particularly interested in the story of them following the star. Hmm. So I'm going to be talking about navigation. That would make a great TV show. Yes, it would do. I I, I want to do that. I want to do it. Yeah, recreate the voyage. Brilliant. The the, the Christmas road trip. 
So the, the interesting thing about this is that this star first appears. Now, they then identify it as being linked to a prophecy, and they also use the star for navigation. The star actually guides them to the baby Jesus. Um, except we think he might have been a toddler by the time right. they arrived because it took them so damn long to find the manger underneath the star. Right, the principle is really interesting. Okay, So if I'm travelling from here to Bethlehem, yeah. if I phone up Joseph or Mary, <laughs> I don't know who's on the phone, right. and I say, right, I need to get from Exeter to Bethlehem, how do I do it? Um, best thing to do is you get them to look directly above them yeah. and name the star that is above them. Okay, I will then know if I walk from Exeter to that star... I will, it will give me the direct, I know exactly where I've got to go. The problem with that is that the stars move in the sky. Okay. So the stars move through the heavens like the sun and the moon. They, yes. they rise in the east yeah. and they set in the west. So within about five minutes of that phone call where I phoned up Joseph and he's told me which star is above his head, the star will have moved, which means you can't use the stars for navigation. You can't set a course by those stars because the stars move. With a couple of exceptions. One is the North Star because the North Star changes and everything spins around yeah. the North Star because it's directly above the North Pole. Okay, So the point is, is you can't actually navigate using a star. So it's a lie. So what were they actually doing? There are various... What were they doing? Well, we, I think they were following a planet. Huh. So planets move, but they do much, much, much more slowly than stars. And so for significant periods of time, months, you know, yep. a planet will appear in the sky and it will not apparently move. It will move right. not very much. And the other thing is that planets, because of the the orbit of planets, they can move both east and west mm. and they can change. They can go all the way to the west, stop, and then start moving east again, which is a really weird thing to happen. Also, planets, when they are just above the horizon, are beautifully visible. Now, we know that their star was visible in the east. Okay, so the sun comes up, the sky lights up before you see the sun itself. Mm. And in that split second, you can usually see a planet if it's there, very bright. Yep. But then what happens is the sun comes up and the planet is then invisible because of the brightness of the sun. So you have a very interesting moment of the day where this a unusual celestial object is visible in the east. Mm. Mm. So I think it was a planet that they were using. Which is interesting because it is it, it's one of the kind of the few times of actually we've got written down from the past how people navigated by the stars and what they were doing. What is odd about the story is that they said they then say that once they follow the star, the star moves in front of them, which is another reason why I think it was a planet. Because if if they are taking months to actually travel somewhere, then it is it does become logical for that planet to move. The point is because the planet stays in the sky, you mm. can set a course by a planet. Mm. not a star. So mm. they would have been able to head towards that planet if that's what they were doing. Which raises the very important question of other forms of navigation in the Bible. We should do we Which should brings do me on to ravens and doves. Okay. We should do, yeah. Okay. Noah. Noah. Noah's the best example. Okay. Um, so, so this was how you were going to get to ravens. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So... Um, <laughs> Here's me running this sort of traditional Christmas line through this. It's Dickens, it's mince pies, and we go nuclear testing and ravens. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, ravens. genius. So, so that the flood, Noah's, Noah's yep. having a bit of trouble. He's a bit worried. He he needs to find land. And what does he do? He releases doves. Yes. After he's released a raven, the raven didn't do very well. So his his plan B. Really do we know what happened to the raven? It it flew around a bit and then came back. So the principle is, uh, everyone, that you take a bird with you that doesn't like water 
okay? Um, and then you release said bird that doesn't like water, and it will fly up hundreds of feet, and it will have a look around. And if it sees land, it will fly off there as quickly as it can. <laughs> and that gives you a sense of direction. But if it can't see land, it will land on your ship again, because right. that's safe, right. and it won't land on the water. So ravens are very good for this, and doves are also very good. So you need two birds. Well, no. I mean, in, uh, the, the fact that he has two is really interesting. Um, he has more than two. He sends out three doves. But the fact that he uses ravens and then changes his plan and uses doves because of the poor performance of the ravens. Interesting. Because mm. Vikings used ravens. Mm. We know that Iceland was discovered by Vikings using a raven. Because um, ravens I hate water. I didn't know that, no. Oh, okay. No. Well, ravens hate water, and doves also hate water. So that's the other example of the history of navigation taught Bio. to us in the Bible. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the the theft of Christmas. Yes, let's do that. Like the, the, the Connecting to, back to another of my Christmas reads, mm -hmm. uh, the Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Mm. And it's about Puritans and Oliver Cromwell and the banning of Christmas in the um, the 1640s. Who banned Christmas? Um, leading to riot parliament. Really? Parliament, yes. Parliament, Sons. Parliament. I know, I know. So we have a, we have here, um, in 1644, the Long Parliament forbade the celebration of Christmas as a feast day. <laughs> wow. Imagine what would happen nowadays. Well, and what happened then in okay. Canterbury in 1647. What did they do? They rioted. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> and we know about this because there is a pamphlet uh, that describes said riot. The Christmas riot. The, the Christmas, Christmas riot. riot. I mean, people went nuts about it. Because, I mean, the, th the problem was that, that um, at first, in, in 1644, the Westminster Assembly spotted that Christmas would coincide with one of Parliament's regular feast days. So they issued uh, a message saying that they were going to ban... Uh, the celebration of Christmas. A message was brought from the assembly by Dr. Birches and humbly to present to their lordship's consideration that Wednesday next, Christmas Day being appointed for the keeping of the fast by both houses, they finding in the city of London some people inclined not to keep that day so solemnly as it should be, and they fearing some inconveniences may ensue thereupon, therefore they humbly offer to the wisdom of this house whether it will not be needful that a declaration be drawn up and agreed by both houses that it may be published the next Lord's Day in the churches within the line of communication that that day must be kept as it ought to be. Mm. This is from the Lord's Journal, um, 19th December 1644. Christmas was banned. Was that Cromwell's idea? This is Well, I mean, it's, it's coming out of the long, long Parliament discussions. Yeah. It's part of a, a Puritan... If, I, I suppose a Puritan dislike of ritual, you know, this is something that's incredibly yeah. popish. Yeah. You know, the um, the church under Charles I had sort of been, been encouraging the ritual and celebration of Christmas. Charles I had ordered the gentry to go home to their estates over Christmas and to keep up the, those, those sort of traditions. So what we've got here is the pamphlet. About the riot. <laughs> Brilliant. In 1647, a Canterbury Christmas or a true relation of the insurrection in Canterbury on Christmas Day last with the great hurt that befell diverse persons. Really? Well, they were very yeah. violent. They didn't they, just stand oh, around singing oh, carols. Oh, no, 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 no. They, li they were literally, you know, Fighting. this is like, this is total, total carnage. Um, I mean, basically what happened was they banned the opening, they, they banned Christmas and they suggested that there should be a, a market, so the shops were going to be kept open. And this poor guy, um, uh, one white who's a barber, he decides to keep his shop open. 
and everything there's a little bit of sort of riot you know casual rioting in the morning and then everything sort of settles down until in the afternoon you know this this guy from hackney a hackney man one a man named joyce goes to um to white and the fellow asked what the matter was and with all called him a roundhead whereat white being moved cocked his pistol and would have shot him but the major with him to hold nevertheless he shot and the fellow fell down but was not dead whence arose a sudden clamour that a man was murdered whereupon the people came forth with clubs and so it kicks off and you have a, a riot that is eventually put down but nothing says christmas like rioting people people like their, people like their christmas traditions they do they do and i think probably a few high streets around the uh, around yes. the country will be full of a bit of rioting yes <laughs> very um I think we should call it a day there. I've actually got so much more I, I could so talk about. I, I think so we should more. save it for next year. We haven't done the Christmas pudding and empire. No, that's The true. fruits mm. uh, of empire. We haven't done pantomime and cross-dress. Christmas is all about cross-dressing mm. and pantomime. I think we'll have to do that next year. We'll save that for next year. Fabulous. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, but one thing oh, no. we have to do, one thing that we have to do, a tradition, <laughs> yes, the okay. Daybell has uh, been making a Christmas cake. Yeah. Do you think we have time for you to yes, of we brandy do. up my, my Christmas cake? So I made this. He's got a skewer. Um, about three weeks ago. A bottle of brandy. And a tin. A Christmas tin. There's and inside it is my is my this year's Christmas cake. This is a tradition. We talked about tradition and ritual. This is a tradition in the Daybell household. I have made a Christmas cake for the last 20 odd years. Uh, you, Delia according Smith's, to a, a traditional Delia recipe. Delia Smith's recipe mm. is wonderful. Um, but the thing is, you need to make it plenty of time in advance, wrap it up, and then basically um, feed it regularly with brandy feed it feed Am I, it. and that's what i'm going to do you're now. going to be you're going to be feeding it it smells amazing can i not feed myself with it we I, you can come right i will invite you round uh, <laughs> over the christmas period because the, the the really weird thing is i make this every year and nobody in my house other than me likes christmas cake. Do, you, do you like marzipan i don't like marzipan i don't so i don't, don't put it on i don't it. dress the i don't dress the cake but it's here in we always had a christmas cake in our paper. house and no one ever ate it that's, same same thing it's really good with stilton Really? Stilton and Port. Do you know what I'd like instead of a Christmas cake? I'd Look like a that. Christmas blackberry and apple pie. Oh, there we go. A new tradition. So, I've skewer, got a skewer. Skewer. What do I do with this? Not so that you puncture my chair. Put, put, put it through, but not so that you Just puncture once. my chair. No, no, all over. So, like this. Oh, no, you need so to dense. push it push it like that. Yeah. Well, this is, it's quite dry, yeah. so we need to feed it with brandy. So, okay. I have. I am perforating the tree. Waitrose, three year old French brandy, <laughs> soft and mellow. And um, I've now made about 20 holes. Yeah, that's in this perfect. Thing. Perfect. Okay, so now what I'm going to do is give you a cap. Can I have that? Full of brandy. Yeah, go on, try it. Oh. Ooh. There we go. So, what? there's a cap full of brandy. So, just pour it around here feeding the cake. feeding the cake and how many times do you have to do that? i tend to feed it weekly really yeah so it's absolutely it's it it, it really matures over that time it does. i mean you can yeah oh, i love these like this slow Look at that. should we have another should we have another slow. capful yeah absolutely because it hasn't had it for this is the first time and i made it several weeks ago so there we go another capful there we are. You've, you've added down. to the Daybell Christmas tradition seeping here. down through the holes. Look at that. Excellent. Love that. There we go. Now I just need to wrap it all up. Well, as we wrap this cake up, uh, we should probably say goodbye and wish our listeners a very Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas, everyone. Bye. Wherever you are. Bye. Bye.